undefeated. All right, everybody, we are uh, here again with the Demand Excellence Podcast, and we are lucky to have Coach Tim McFarland. Um, he has just won two straight championships at Blessed Trinity High School. That's a 4A high school in the state of Georgia. Great football. Played at that level. Probably his, uh, for me anyways, the, the game he is most famous for, and I think Nick Saban needs to call him and get some advice. He might have he already have, but he beat the great – uh, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence uh, in the quarterfinals or semifinals of the playoffs to, to take Blessed Trinity to the first state championship game. So automatically he has instant credibility above Nick Saban in my eyes. He did what Nick Saban cannot do. But at the end of the day, uh, Coach McFarland, thanks for being on. Would you tell the listener out there kind of your story um, and your path as a football coach? I will, Jonathan, and thank you. I, I appreciate this. Um, no, I, I, I had the good fortune of, of being able to go right into coaching um, at Roswell High School and, more importantly, under a guy named Ray Manus, uh, who uh, to this day remains a good friend, but uh, just one of the finest guys that uh, I think uh, you'll ever meet and, uh, more importantly, uh, a great role model and mentor for young coaches. And uh, – so Ray was the guy that really kind of got my feet planted in the, the coaching business and showed me the ropes and was a, a very patient guy. He was also our athletic director. And uh, so it, it was at Roswell where I think I learned how to coach football and, and more importantly learned how to be a, a pretty decent guy, you know, to the kids. And uh, Ray's relationship to the community was exceptionally strong there too. He, uh, he was just one of those rare people that uh, – uh, saw the value in going somewhere and staying for a long time and and uh, certainly made an impression on me and there were two or three times during my career that I thought about moving and looked around and but uh, at the end of the day Ray made the coaching situation so good for all of us who were assistants it, it was easy to stay so uh, that, that that's who I give my credit to two great high school coaches I had I played for Fred Sanderson who uh, coached for a lot of years and went on to be the superintendent of Cobb County Schools and also played for a guy named Glenn Stevens who spent uh, close to 40 years at Milton High School and those two guys made great impacts on my life as well I, I lost my father when I was in high school and uh, I, I think those two guys helped to shape me during that uh, you know during that time so I've just been fortunate everything I do is because of somebody else so, um, all right, Coach, uh, Coach Dudley. Yeah, all right, I'm up now. Tim, uh, you're well known around this state and probably nationwide for being a little bit uh, counterculture, counterintuitive on your summer training, all-season training program. But mm -hmm. I was hoping you would speak to your offense. You guys are a traditional pro-I offense, very prolific, mm -hmm. very productive in this state. And a lot of people have gone away from that style of offense. But you guys hang not only hang on to it, you prosper in it, and you've won back-to-back -back state titles with it. Yeah. Well, the offense, for me, Ed, it's, it's all I've really ever known. Um, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, we've done a lot of research and look. I mean, there was some tangible reason other than the fact that um, – for us, it works. It, it's been dear to my heart because the emphasis is on running the football. Uh, and the relationship between that and the defense has always been really strong. Uh, we, we believe that 
you know, if you play great defensive football and if you get a three and out, uh, it just makes sense to us to try to hang on to the ball for a little while. Uh, we have three goals. When anytime we take the football on the offensive side, number one, we want to flip the field, and, and then the second thing we'd like to do is get three points, and the next is, of course, you know, get the ball in the end zone. And if we do any of those three, and we take time off the clock, it it seems to help. So, um, I I think the key to offense. I don't care what you're in. You know, years ago when Spurrier kind of made the 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 move to do what he did down at Florida. If you look, he still had a hundred, uh, excuse me, a thousand yard rusher every year. And uh, so running the football, whatever you're in, is going to be important. Uh, great defense is at the top of the list. Good special teams. So you know they all really have to work together. Uh, but we do it, Ed, just because it fits not only our philosophy, but it also fits our athletes at Blessed Trinity. We we typically are going to have some decent linemen and. And uh, and some fullback kind of kids. Uh, we 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 don't have an exceptional amount of speed on the outside, and so you know for us, ball control offense is what we want to do. And uh, our our goal when we take the football, is, you know, we we talk about the importance of four yards, and first down is critical. And we just feel like if we can do that, now we we're probably a little more balanced run to throw on first down than most other downs. We. First down's a big, important script for us uh, that we've worked on all week. And uh, But uh, anyway, yeah, it, it's, it's all based around running the, foot, the football and, and based on having that really good – everybody thinks about the feature back. For me, the, the, the tip of the spear is not the tailback, it's the fullback. You know, that lead blocker who's a tough kid, probably a little more athletic than most linemen, but a lot of times we'll go and find a lineman to move to that position. So uh, – it's just an offensive philosophy that we have, and it's it's been good to us. So, I'll take the I'll take the next question because I'm still intrigued, and I have never got to talk to you about it. But in 2017, I guess was your mm-hmm. first state championship there. Not your first, but your your first one at Blessed Trinity. But you know, everybody sits there and watches the scoreboard. Uh, on Friday nights, and, and Cartersville is just destroying people left and right. And it's like, you know, maybe this is the greatest team ever in uh, Georgia high school football. They got Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback in the world. Um, and I think probably the most shocking victory ever in my, in my 13 years here understanding Georgia high school football was when you guys beat Cartersville. And mm-hmm. – um, I want you to speak to that a little bit because I think what you're describing on offense, ball control, play great defense, can really frustrate a team like Cartersville, which is play as fast as you can, throw as many times as you can. Um, speak to that a little bit because I, I know everybody out there like me, that, that I bet everybody would still say, man, that was probably one of the greatest upsets uh, in Georgia high school football history. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, the fact is, uh, I'm glad we only had to play that game once. Um, and we all say, and we tell our kids, and I know it's true, you know, on, on any given night, you know, any team can win on any given night. Um, I, I don't know if we play cards for multiple times that year, it, you know, it probably wouldn't work out in our favor. I think we won the football game because I I really truly believe we had the best defensive coordinator in the state of Georgia uh, in John Thompson. And, and we knew that he was going to be well-prepared as a staff. We talked about the importance of getting 
getting stops, three and outs, and then hanging on to the football, just draining the clock. And our, our goal was to try to keep Trevor on the on the sideline as much as possible because he, I think, by far is probably the best football player I've ever had the privilege of, of watching. And I've seen some really good ones on, on the opposing sideline. But he, he's just so special, so big. And, and, uh, and so we were able to get some stops early, and, and we were able to get a, a few scores early. And I think that put a little pressure and. And then they helped us. Uh, you know, they, they had a couple of drops in that game. Um, and uh, I know that had to be frustrating to Joey King. Uh, Joey and I are good friends. And I, well, I think he's one of the great young coaches. I hated to see him leave high school, but I'm happy for him. Um, but, you know, you could kind of feel the pressure mounting. And then, of course, they took the, late, the lead late. And, uh, and we were able to move the ball back in the field goal position. And, and uh and get a little play action over the top to win it. So it, it was just one of those games where the stars all lined up for us and, and our kids played well and we, we didn't make very many mistakes that night. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, we were fortunate. Uh, but it goes back to what I said earlier about the relationship between offense and defense. When, when you're, you're playing the fast teams, you know, you only need one or two stops. You know, you only need one or two three and outs early in the game and then, if you can control the ball five, six, seven, eight minutes and put the ball in the end zone, um, it, it just it creates a little pressure on that offense. Uh, but, you know, vice versa, in, in our situation, I, we've had nights that were frustrating. People stop the run game, uh, and they'll throw, you know, eight guys in the box, and we have to deal with that a lot. So um, it still goes back to defense. That's where you're going to win it all. You got to be decent kicking the ball, and you got you got to be able to stop people, and we were really good on defense. Well, it certainly was a great story, Tim, and, and I think every one of your different state title teams has been a great story, uh, going all the way back to 2006 and, and some exciting games. But I tell you, for our young coaches that are tuning in and listening, what uh, – and, and for those of you guys who don't know, Tim's been a longtime head coach in Georgia, longtime assistant in Georgia. Uh, you could be retired. You could be – playing golf what gets you up in the morning what what excites you still uh to go in and coach football I think I know the answer but I want everybody in, in, that's listening to hear this I you know it, it's real simple for me Ed uh, I, I look at coaching and in today's world we run into so many obstacles you know there's obstacles sometimes in the building and you, you hope you have an administration that's very supportive which I have and but sometimes these coaches don't you know and at the end of the day, you got to separate the mess from the mission, you know, because we all deal with the mess. But if we allow ourselves to focus on that, then it really takes us away from those kids. And uh, if you really want to know, uh, my litmus test is, you know, as far as how long I'm going to stay in it, is if I put my feet on that grass, on that practice field, we practice on the dirt, but we don't practice on the turf. <laughs> if I put my feet there on Monday and still feel good about it, then 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 I'll, I'll coach until that feeling goes away. And I still, I mean, seriously, if I can just get out of the building and get on the field with the kids and get my feet on some grass, I, I, that's, that's what really, I think that's what drives me. I, it may sound really strange, but this is true. I, I love, I think I probably enjoy Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday a little more than I do Friday nights. I like the Friday nights, but I, I just enjoy the process. And I think a lot of that goes back to, 
working with Ray and the importance of I enjoy the planning part of it and the game plans, but I like practice and, and our practice doesn't drag out. We go two hours and we're done. And, uh, and, uh, but we try to be pretty organized about it, but you know, that, that's the part of the game that I still really like. I love the association with the coaches. I mean, there's nothing like having a staff where everybody's, you know, good friends and they're all hanging together a lot like you had, Ed, when you were at Walton, I, I remember playing you guys, and you could just see the closeness that you and Rocky and Tripp and all the guys had there. And I've been fortunate that we've been able to have that too. Um, I don't know what it's like to be in a situation where coaches don't get along. Um, I would think that that would have to be a pretty miserable experience. So I think, you know, if you can you can get all the guys on the same page and then, you know, be about the business of helping kids to, to play the game. Uh, there's so many things that creep in now. The, the struggles, like I said, with, you know, sometimes with administrators who don't quite understand the struggles with booster clubs who tend to, you know, overreach a little bit. Uh, the street agents that are killing our game. Uh, the recruiting that has gotten sideways. The fact that colleges feel like these kids belong to them while they still belong to us. Uh, all of those things we have to filter through, but more importantly, we have to help the kids to filter through that because they don't see it. And, uh, you know, once you can just get out there and get on the practice field and enjoy being out there every day, and I think that's why we don't do too much. I, 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 want, I want our kids to want to come back. Uh, we encourage a, multi, a multi-sport deal now. I, I think it's important for football guys to get away from football. And uh, this year-round, you know, AAU basketball, the the fall baseball, all of these things, you know, while it may seem like a path to college and greatness, it, it's not. And uh, they have unintended consequences and overuse of muscles. And, you know, I, I think the seasons were all developed around, uh, the sports developed around the seasons. And, you know, go back to when you were a kid. In the fall, I wanted to be playing football. In the winter, I wanted to be in the gym. In the spring, I wanted to be on the baseball field. So, I think kids are still the same. We just have to, have to help them to realize that there's so many influences that pull them away from that. But uh, I, for me, I love practice, and, and that's where it all starts. And I, I love I love the guys that I get to, to coach with, and that that seems to make it all work for me. Coach, I want to um, you know uh, talk about doing too much uh, because to <laughs> me, when I first started coaching, it was how much can we do? How much can we do? How much can we do? And then as a, you know, probably five, six, seven years into that, I've been, you know, just convicted to to pull back, you know, and do less. And I know Mm -hmm. that you, you don't do spring practice. I I still do spring practice. Some things that during the summer uh, I do, I I do make the kids come up and and work out four days a week. It's not mandatory. You know, a lot will go on vacation. A lot of them miss, but I'm going to be up here four days. And I, you know, if I I try to motivate them to come, if you're in town, come work out. But one thing I've really been completely against is, is these, these full padded OTAs that they're doing in the Mm -hmm. summer. I think we go insane with seven on seven. I think the kids have fun with seven on seven, but then I think as coaches, we can go right. overboard a little bit. Just talk about your overall philosophy on all of that. Cause you have success and you probably do less. Uh, it's not that you don't work, but you probably do less than other uh, state championship football coaches. Well, we're, we are intentional about our schedule. Um, and we do believe that less is more. Um, 
here's the simple goal for us. We want to create an atmosphere where the kids, when they when they look at at summer football or they look at 707 or whatever it is you're doing, you know, you want the kids to be there because they want to be there rather than the kids having to be there. And um, and that's why we do less. Plus, you know, lacrosse really helped me to change my mind about all the spring football stuff because we did it for a lot of years at Roswell. And even back in 05, 06, uh, with Coach Manus and those guys, we started talking about that. We started talking about the fact that the spring had gotten so crowded. And, you know, it's a team sport but you don't have your team there in the spring. I mean, your quarterback's probably playing baseball. Your receivers are running track. You're, you know, you got kids at lacrosse. And, and so we just felt like even then we had discussions about letting it go. And then if we're honest about it, what helped me to do that is when I retired, because when I came to BT, look, the best job you'll ever have is a job you don't have to have. And, and when you're retired and you, you go back and coach, you don't worry quite so much about what the parents say or the boosters say or the – you know, I think every coach's greatest fear is if I don't spring do spring football and then we have a bad season, you know, it could cost me my job. And you have to be – your convictions have to run deep enough that you can just look past that. So, for us at BT, we, we go watch our kids play other sports. Uh, we go watch them in the baseball playoffs. We go watch them in lacrosse and, and uh, in track. And I think the kids appreciate that, and it helps you to build a relationship beyond football. Uh, Dennis Parker was a great coach out of out of Texas, and I heard him speak years ago. And I asked him after it was over because he had retired. I said, "Coach, if you could do it all again, what would you do differently?" And he said something that really stuck with me. He said, "Tim, I would get to know my players better." You know, we we talk about that, and we and, and we we talk about family. You know, and we we all we break the huddle saying family, but as a coach, you know, do do you know their family? You know, do you know your coach's wife's name? Do you know their children? And, and and so the great thing about retiring, and you don't have to teach quite as much, is you can invest a little bit more in those relationships. And I think that's the difference. Uh, whether you do spring football or not, I don't think that's the key. But, you know, uh, are you able to do it in such a way that the kids enjoy it and it's beneficial to your program? Uh, I think with spring football, coaches have to make sure, and they got to be honest with this, or, you know, are they doing what the kids need, or are they scratching their itch? Right. And so for us, you know, for us, it, it works. We, you know, football, we get into this, we're going to out-hit them, out-work them. We, well, everybody's saying that. And, and uh, so we just wanted to create an atmosphere where when August 1st hits, I mean, when we get to August 1st, we want our kids to be fresh, healthy, and excited. And so this has worked for us. Uh, May not work for everybody. I, I I think in places I know in rural South Georgia where they don't have lacrosse, I think spring, spring football probably makes sense. You know, the the kids need to be engaged in something. So I, I don't think that this is the answer for everybody, but uh, it, it's it's worked well for for us, and it's encouraged kids to understand that they can play multiple sports and and, and still be good. I think about losing a game to Ed Dudley one night. And he had a pretty good baseball player on the field named Billy Burns, you know. And, and I know that kid was playing a lot of baseball. And, you know, well, if you're a football coach and you force him to make a decision, you know, and, and he decides to play baseball, then then Coach Dudley, he don't win that game that night, you know, if you don't have that guy. So, we, you know, we just have to look at what we're doing and try to figure out whether or not it's productive. 
Well, Tim, I always ask this question towards the end of our interviews with famous head coaches. What one piece of advice or two pieces of advice would you give the young aspiring coaches out there, guys that are maybe just getting into business or trying to climb that ladder and become a head coach? What would you tell them? I would tell them two things. Number one, count it all joy, man. When they encounter disappointments, I mean, that's, you know, that scripture is so true. And uh, I, I know it's easy to say, Ed, you and I have had the opportunity to be head coaches for a long time. But your disappointments in this business will provide your greatest learning opportunities. So if you don't get that coordinator's job or if you don't get that head job when you think you should, it, just understand that, you know, uh, you're building patience. And and uh, there are times, I believe, that God puts us in time out to, to help us. And uh, so I, I would I would just advise those coaches to, to try to, you know, understand that things don't always move as fast as they should. Um, I would encourage coaches as much as possible to try to get a little experience on both sides of the football. Uh, I, I think if you coach both sides of the ball, you understand, you know, ultimately we all wind up either as offense or defensive guys. And I think you just have a better understanding, you know, when you do that. So those are the two things that I think are important is to slow down the process a little bit and don't try to fast forward. Ed, you and I have both seen careers get, uh, railroaded because a, a young coach was promoted too quickly and uh you know it, i i worry for those guys i've got a young guy i've been talking to all this year who became a coordinator probably a little before he was ready and and uh, wound up getting fired and you know that's a hard recovery and uh so just enjoy the process slow it down the last thing i would say is this assistant coaches they need to think really hard about making themselves irreplaceable you know I had a coach years ago coach and he would come by my office I know two or three times a week coaches are anything I can do for you and this guy was like 27 years old and to this day he remains a guy who was by the way ultra successful he he just remains one of those guys that I, I said you know he this kid understands it he, he's got it so you know live in the moment and uh, and, and enjoy the process and you know trust your faith Commit yourself to your faith. You know, God's looking out for you. You just have to trust him. We Sometimes we think when we don't get what we want that we're being punished when actually we're, we're being done a favor. And uh, anyway, that's it. I mean, that's it. And then try to work for a head coach who is, is going to treat you well and, and give you responsibility. I, you know, you, you try to do that for these young guys, you know, give them a job and then let it go. And as, as head coaches, that's what we need to do better too. We, we need to trust these guys and, and give them room to make mistakes and, and let them run with it. Uh, um, I think one last thing is this. You know, we all talk about diversity. You know, it's a, it's a buzzword today, and we think about diversity in the program. And when we do that, unfortunately, we always just think about color. Well, of course we need diversity in culture in our programs, but a staff also needs diversity in age. If you got all young guys, right, you're missing something. If you got all young, old guys, you're missing something. So when you get to be a head coach, I, I think you really need to look out there and say, okay, you know, I'd like to – usually there's three generations, sometimes four in the workforce, and if you can get people from all – because they all approach things differently. So try to have a little balance with your uh, the age on your staff as well. Coach, my um, question to you – it's always a hot topic um, – 
you know, and it always goes back because I'm a private school coach. And, uh, you know, so there's mm -hmm. always the private public debate. And here you are. You were in public school for the longest time. And now you're in a mm -hmm. private school. Um, and, you know, people, they probably hate Blessed Trinity. You know, surely you cheat. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you are out at um, a bunch of youth camps this weekend, uh, you know, recruiting talent for your school. That's what people think. <laughs> You know, they, I mean, they would say that they say that about me. And, yeah. um, and, yeah. and in fact, I'm coaching my, I guess I am cause I'm coaching my kids six year old baseball team on the weekends. I do kind of scout the talent out there, but unfortunately I can't give yeah. six year old scholarships <laughs> to Elka, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, speak to that a little bit because, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see you. He's talking about you beating Cartersville. You're not, you're not, I mean, you have a lot of talent on your team. Your team's not more talented player for player than Cartersville, especially two years ago. So I don't really see, and of course, coach talked about how private school could have the unfair advantage last week, but speak to that a little bit. Well, it, it's a hot topic in Georgia. And I don't think there's a clear answer. Every state around us has struggled with this. Uh, you know, certainly Tennessee has, and and I, I can tell you this: I did. There was a lot about private school that I didn't understand. My 30 years at Roswell High School, uh, I enjoyed every minute. It was uh, it was community based. Look, when we won it in '06, actually tied for it in '06, you know, we were the benefactors of an MDM program. You know, where we had kids that you know from out of district that were coming from Atlanta because. You know, it's just the way the, the minority, the majority system worked. Uh, we had the great advantage of, you know, being in North Fulton or East Cobb or if you're in Gwinnett, where there's a lot of transitional families moving in from all over the state. And don't think for a minute that those people don't stop, you know, and, and start digging up information. If their kid's a good football player, they're going to find the schools. So the recruiting uh, every football program should be recruiting. You should be building your program, not where you go out and tap, you know, kids and families on the shoulder, but just by the product you put on the field and the way you run the program. And, you know, that's, those are the things that you can do because, you know, your website, those things are important. But i tell you what I learned when I went to Blessed Trinity that I didn't know. Uh, I'm not Catholic. I count, I counted a blessing every day that I've had this experience because I've learned a lot about, about uh, you know the, the the Catholic faith, and I've learned a lot about how those schools function. We dressed seventy kids for the football game this past year in the in the bins. We had zero transfers on that football team. Every kid on that team came to Blessed Trinity in the ninth grade. Yeah, and and that was something that I didn't realize. But um, and I will say this too: I have really gained a lot of respect for the Jerry Rombergs of the world and for the Mike Muschamps of the world and the Paul Standards of the world, these guys, because th those private schools, they all stay tight and they meet and they struggled a couple of years ago because there's one or two private schools where you do see those kids rolling in there and, and you do see those, the, you know, sometimes those programs cherry pick from the, the, the public schools. And, and I've seen them actually address that with, with the school and and you know where they and they said look you know we struggle with the perception out there and they dealt with it strongly and I was so impressed with that because those guys are committed to doing things the right way um, do private schools have an advantage I you know uh, I would think so because 
with the enrollment process, you know, there's a screening that goes on. Uh, I think the greatest benefit that we have is that a lot of times you don't have the discipline problems that I that I encountered when I was at Roswell because, you know, number one, if you have a discipline problem, generally those kids don't hang around very long. The schools can just, they let them go. In the public schools, you can't do that. So, yeah, there's some advantages, but let me be clear about this. There is a lot more movement in this recruiting stuff going on now, especially with the street agents going on in public school than, than going on in private school. And we don't have to look very far to see it, you know, and those guys tend to bounce around. You know, they, they go they go to places wherever the head coaches will allow them to get their foot in the door. And once that happens, it's hard to control, and it, and it is hurting our sport. But to lay it off on just on private schools, so let's say that uh, all of a sudden, you know, Georgia High School just all of a sudden did the 2.0 multiplier, which I think is really stupid that they did that. I wish they would have. I've got a, a thought on that, too. I'll share with you in just a minute. But the fact of the matter is, you know, they level that against private schools. Well, let's say that they eliminate private schools from Georgia High School. There'd be really, you know, there'd be a lot of happy people there, and that would last for about one week. And then the split with, with, with the next conflict would develop between public and city, okay, right. or public and tuition base. You know, and, and a lot of people – a lot of people don't understand. If you look down in Lawrence County right now, uh, Rogers losing great kids out of Dublin because West Lawrence, you know, kids can go there on a tuition base. I mean, I, and they're not paying a lot of money. So it's not a private school issue. Uh, it, it is a, you know, can school, can, you know, can the kids bounce around and pay a tuition and go wherever they want to go? And, and, and so, yeah, we've got some real issues with that. But uh, I tell you the way you solve it, and it's already started is you get head coaches together on an annual basis. Um, this development of the Georgia Association of Head Football Coaches that has now developed this past year under the leadership of the GACA, which I'm really looking forward to seeing the GACA reemerge as a, a leader in, in our state, that's where you have a chance to deal with these issues, is let those head coaches get in there and, and discuss it. Uh, I love the ADs in our state. They're good people, but more and more we're seeing ADs who didn't coach football or ADs who don't have a sports background or, you know, and, and, and so we lose something when, when those guys are at the table and football coaches aren't. Uh, so that's what I would say. As far as the, the multiplier, here's what I would recommend. I think you need to look at enrollment in private schools. I agree there needs to be a multiplier. I agree. So in private school, I would simply look at it and just say, okay, let's put some some benchmarks out there. If you're a school of under 300, maybe there is no multiplier. If you're a school of 350 to 700, and maybe it's 1.5 or point one, you know, maybe it's one, you know. And then if you're over 750, maybe it's two, which is where we we just you know we just landed at Blessed Trinity, because the more kids you have, uh, the more opportunities you have for you know, for, for you know having guys that. Uh, that are going to be a pretty good player. Uh, this past year, we had five great football players, but they all came to us in the sixth grade. Um, so I just, I, I just think that we should take a look at scaling that, just a blanket, uh, and, and say that it's uh, – didn't it go to point two, Ed? Isn't that what they've gone to now? 2.0, I think, is the, is the I mean, provision that's coming down the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, you know, that's not fair to a private school. That's not fair to – that's not fair to King's Ridge, a school that's got less than 250 students. You know, that's just, I mean, you know, that, that'll kill them. So we really need to slow this thing down. That happened pretty quickly, and it happened, I believe, 
without a lot of consultation with head football coaches. And uh, so anyway, we, we, we've got to address the issue, but then we've also got to address the issue of these, these kids that are transferring at will, you know, and parents are doing this. I mean, you know, you, you look up in a quarterback who, you know, starts at one school and then he goes to another school and maybe that head coach gets fired and then he goes to another school. Really? You right. Know, and that's not yeah. happening in the, that's not happening in the private school. Right. That's so, kind of like, it's kind of like how college football is going right now. It's just kind of, you know, it's like we have our own transfer portal. Um, well, they do. They do. Well, coach. So but yeah, we'll, you know, hopefully we'll get it fixed, but it's going to, it's going to take football coaches sitting down in the room and closing the doors. What it's going to take. Right. Um, so at Blessed Trinity, you said you had 70 players. Is that nine through 12? Or is that? Yeah, we did, that, that, was our, that was our roster. We had ninth grade. No, 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 that's not all of our players. Those were the kids that we wanted to dress. We bring up ninth graders, not all of them, but we bring a few of them up after they finish their seven-game season just to get the exposure to being with us. Uh, now, if our kids need to go to basketball or wrestling, we cut them loose if they're a freshman or a sophomore. Uh, unless they're playing a lot. So uh, those are the kids. That was a mix of ninth, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders that, that came to the Dome. We normally run about uh, 22 kids, maybe 25 on a big class per class. So we, we run a, a little over 100 kids in the whole program, and, and then we have the normal attrition. There'll be kids that, you know, get injured and quit or just decide football's not for them. So I would say on average we have 105 to 110 in the program year-round. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of crazy when I was – I mean, I, I don't really pay attention to what rules Georgia High School makes because it just – I was telling somebody that it changes every two years, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but – and, and, you know, what I really didn't think was fair, you use King Ridge as an example. It's like, okay, you're just going to lump all the private schools together. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, honestly, I don't want to compete we got three three fifty in high school and you have seven fifty. Mm -hmm. Well I don't want to compete with mm -hmm. Blessed Trinity for a state championship, but you know, uh we we might could compete with you. I'm not saying we could could beat you, but there are schools that I play that have no business playing a Blessed Trinity or a GAC or a Love It. It wouldn't even be fair to the kids. And I don't think people understand mm -hmm. like there are some really really small school private schools probably the majority of private schools are really really small maybe mm -hmm. field 30 to 35 football players and they're not very good and and right. like people don't understand what they're they're going to do to those teams and and I believe in the football playing experience you know I believe those boys need to play football but they don't need to play against blessed trinity right I agree with that I don't know what the answer is. Um, I, I, I really don't. There's, I don't think there's a perfect answer. I, I really don't. But I know what the answer isn't. It, it's not separating private completely from public. Because if you do that, then it takes the gloves off, and there's no reason for private schools at that point in time not to recruit. You know, uh, we've had, in the eight years that I've been there, we've had four kids that moved into Blessed Trinity, transferred in, after their ninth grade year and all four of those kids we don't e we don't even take it to uh to down to the committee we we just don't they sat their their sophomore year and uh and by the way only one of them really became a, a full-time starter for us as a junior so 
we're not talking about ultra talented kids. We're just talking about kids that maybe did not get in as a, a freshman and maybe they're a Catholic kid and they didn't get in and they reapply and they get in. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know where this goes, but I, I do know if you, if you take, if you separate the private and the public completely, then there's no reason for the public schools or excuse me, the private schools, there's no reason for them not to say, Hey, look, you know, come on up. Cause they're still going to play good ball. Our, our JV in ninth grade, as a matter of fact, you know, we're in the league. We, we play with love at Westminster, GAC, Woodward, Marist, and those guys. And, uh, and I really enjoy watching that, you know, but would I want to just do that uh, on Friday nights? I, I wouldn't. And I don't think Cartersville would want that. You know, I, I, I look at the schools. Listen, two years ago, we we played Cartersville, and then we played at Thompson, and then we played at Mary Persons. Man, I tell you what, I mean, I mean those, those were great programs, great games, and we were fortunate to win those games. Uh, but it's not like we would dominate that every year. And, uh, you know, this year I thought Mary Persons had an outstanding team, and they, they just, you know, they play a style of offense that uh, on a rainy night it struggled a little bit. So I, I don't know that those schools would want to see the private schools out. Uh, I would hope not um, because I think you want to play – when you're good, you want to play good competition. And if you win it, you want to know that you're the best. You've won it. Right. So um, we'll see. Now, for us, the 2.0 – going up to I'm fine with it I, I I think that fits for us I think it I think it works well for us I know my private school colleagues may not agree but I do I think that that works well for us I think that we you know will we dominate no will we be able to compete yes and that's what you're looking for yeah no question well um coach Dudley you do you have any other uh any ideas what what amazes me is like I'm sitting here talking to Coach Dudley and, and you, Coach McFarlane, and, and both of you guys have so much wisdom. You've been in public school. You've been in private school. I bet nobody has called you two and said, hey, you know, how should we do this, guys? Has anybody called y'all? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No calls to me. I, no calls to <laughs> I me. I haven't had any. <laughs> that's, what, that's what really that's, uh, what, that's what blows my mind. And, and that's really why I kind of started yeah. doing the podcast. You know, there's, there's these guys out. I think they're from Oklahoma or something. They're calling around everybody doing interviews. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. I should be interviewing every high school football coach in Georgia. Um, yeah. You know, because we have some of the best coaches in the country. And it'll take me three or four years to get it done. But, like, the, the wisdom that you guys have and just the common sense is 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 invaluable and nobody's getting it from you which is frustrating i tell you who needs to be well i just coaches go ahead Ed. go ahead no no no. go ahead finish up tim and then i've got one final no, thing. I just one last thing i was going to say a totally different subject but i tell you who should be calling the high school coaches is the ncaa i mean <laughs> no they <definitely>. you know <laughs> they, yeah i mean they consult with the college coaches they're consulting with the very guys they're trying to monitor you know and and you know, why are they not talking to the high school coaches about how to best protect these kids? You know, and, and silly things. I mean, like this this deal that the college coaches can come visit, but they can't talk to the kid. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's stupid. You know, but yet they walk out the door and they're on the phone and, and you know, texting, tweeting, whatever it is. You know, they're communicating all day. It's simple things. If you really want to help the high school kid, Get them off their phone from eight in the morning until you know six o'clock at night, 
make it illegal for coaches to contact them or to reach out to them through social media during the school day. But when the coaches come to the school, they should absolutely be able – because if a guy goes into Ed's school to see a big defensive lineman, Ed knows if that kid's taking a test during that period or if he's in AP testing or if he's got – or maybe he's got a PE class. I mean, you know, we need to give the coaches access to the kids and quit pretending that they're not talking to them when they say they can bump into them. Well, you know, we're, we're getting 30-minute bumps, you know, and, and I don't blame the college coaches. They need to be able to talk to these kids. Uh, let the college coaches come watch seven-on-seven. Seven. Let them come through the summer. Why are they restricting that? You know, those are the things that we need to be doing, but the reason that's not happening is because they're not talking to the high school coaches. And uh, so we, we got – listen, we got a lot of stuff to deal with in the state. But you know why we got a lot of stuff? We got a lot of stuff because football is a great sport and it's so popular. Uh, and it's hard to manage, but it's hard to manage because it's it's a great sport and it's popular. Well, Tim, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, it, it's such a great thrill for me to be on Demand Excellence with Jonathan Guest, two of the great high school football coaches in the state, and Coach Guest and Coach McFarland. And I think there are young coaches and old coaches like me around the state and around the country that just get a lot out of it, people sharing what they do and how they do it. And, and what their their philosophy and their motivation is. Just an incredible thing. And, Jonathan, I can't thank you enough for letting me be on today and hope that each of you guys and has a great and beneficial summer coming up. No yeah, doubt. I thank you, Jonathan. I thank you, too. And, 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 I, and Ed, I want to tell you, I've, I've hired a really good young coach. I'm excited to be uh, working with him this year, too, <laughs> and his last name's Dudley. So I, <laughs> well, good. He could work for that. a better head coach. No doubt. Well, both hey, of you guys, guys yeah, Coach, if you don't mind, let me uh, finish and I'll pray for all of us. Um, okay. And, uh, man, you, you got my – Coach McFarland, you got my vote to be the president of the NCAA, and I want you and uh, Coach Dudley to be co-chairman, if that's the right word, of the GHSA. But, of course, nobody will ask us, so it doesn't matter. Let's, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we come before you today. Just want to praise and thank you for loving us, Lord. Praise and thank you, first and foremost, Lord, for dying on the cross for our sins. And, uh, Lord, then calling all of us to be coaches that we can impact uh, the next generation. Praise and thank you for Coach Tim McFarland, just his wisdom, just listening to him and, and how encouraging it is to, to coaches like me and coaches like Coach Dudley. Uh, and, Lord, I know there's the 20, 25-year-old, 30-year-old guy out there who, Lord, is going to learn so much just as we did. I just pray you continue to bless Coach uh, McFarland and, and what he's doing and how he impacts those boys. And, Lord, and, and not just how he impacts those boys, but how he impacts coaches and parents. And, uh, Lord, and I pray that the, the listener out there who's listening to this, Lord, that he would be convicted. Um, uh, to, to, to lead for Jesus Christ, Lord, and to make it about the players and building them as men. Uh, Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.